We're going to continue our series in Advent called Light into Darkness. And once again, you can turn your Bibles to John 8, verse 12. If we haven't dug up enough out of that verse, I'm going to show you there's still a lot more there. And the theme we're going to be focusing on this morning is saved by the light, saved by the light. Now, who here has ever been rescued before? Any good rescue stories out there? Yeah? What are some circumstances which you've been rescued from? Drowning in the Pacific Ocean. Drowning in the Pacific Ocean, yeah. The ocean can be a scary place. What are some other rescue stories out there? Skiel, yeah, just from the skiel itself? <laughs> Accident on the skiel need to be pulled off? What are, yeah, car wrecks, getting in a car accident, needing someone in an ambulance to come? Or some other rescue stories? Yeah, that's pretty intense. Wow. Yeah. I have a couple of rescue stories in my life that come to mind. Uh, the first one that popped to my mind as I was thinking about rescue was uh, one of our family reunions. We have family reunions down in Washington State, and there was a group of us cousins who went with my uncle who had a business called Vertical Ventures where he would do like caving and waterfall repelling and take people on sort of these adventure tours. And there was this beautiful place in Abbotsford where we went waterfall repelling. And my uncle throws the rope over, we're all gathered, we're all getting set up. He throws the rope over, he says, okay, Micah, you've done this with me a bunch of times, you go first. And so trusting my uncle, I harness up, start going down the mountain, all through the waterfall, and I get to about 30 feet below the bottom, and guess what I run out of? Rope. And I started yelling at my uncle, what have you done, right? And it's one of those moments where you feel pretty hopeless because, again, this is waterfall repelling. It's not like I can climb out. Everything's drastically slippery. I can barely hold on. And so my uncle realizes this. He throws down a longer rope, and I'm literally having to uh, re-harness on the edge of a cliff, barely holding on to some slippery <laughs> ledge. And so that's one of those moments where my uncle, in a sense, put me in danger, but he also rescued me at the same time. Yeah. Another one I could think of was uh, I was doing some backcountry snowboarding up by Powder King. And if you know much about that place, it's insane. The, the morning before, there was 42 centimeters of fresh powder, so it was very intense. And so we were hiking backcountry, we drop in, I get maybe three quarters down the mountain, and I fall in a tree well. Does anyone know what a tree well is? It's basically when snow comes over the, the, the tree, but there's this little um, area where the snow doesn't penetrate, so it's almost like a deep well that you fall into. And I fell in one of these tree wells head first. And it's an extremely scary feeling. People die of suffocation from these experiences. And I fell head first, and the powder is so deep that the farther you push and trying to lift yourself up, you're literally just moving snow around, and you're basically hopeless to even get out. So thankfully, I had some friends come and rescue me. And they came, and they saw my snowboarding basically sticking out. They unstrapped my snowboard, took it off. They dragged me out by the feet, and that's how I was rescued. And what's fascinating about rescue stories is it, it's, it's such a, 
a, a deep sense of we are so powerless at times as humans, aren't we? There are so many things that are absolutely beyond our control that we need rescue from. And, and this is the way that the Scripture defines the state of humanity. This is exactly what Masha was bringing up. And we talk about the light needing to come to the darkness because on our own, in our own power, we as humans are hopeless to battle against the evil and injustices of this world. We need something outside of ourselves to bring rescue. And this is the theme which we're really going to be examining today is Jesus as the light of the world is the God who brings salvation and rescue to us. So what are some of the things? We, we've been looking at this theme of light into darkness for these last few weeks, and we've uncovered so much depth behind this phrase, this imagery that John and this gospel brings with this light coming into the darkness of this world. So we talked about how John starts with in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the the Word, the Logos, Jesus. And he, he brings that back to which book of the Bible? Which is the first book of the Bible to talk about in the beginning? Genesis, right? And Genesis talks about how because God created us, because there is a God, all this meaning and purpose is infused into the world. And John brings up that theme and says, Jesus as the Logos is the fulfillment of all the meaning and purpose that we long for in humanity. So we talked about that. We talked about Jesus as being the only hope of the world because we do not have any hope in and of ourselves. We need a light to penetrate the darkness. Darkness, as Martin Luther King Jr. would often say, darkness cannot defeat darkness. The only thing that can defeat darkness is light. So we need the light of Jesus for hope for the world. We talked about how Jesus as the light of the world is the abundance of life. And we talked about how life and life are intertwined. And we talked about photosynthesis. For anything to survive, it just doesn't have to have light or it needs light. Something can't survive, especially plant life and just darkness. It needs light. And so finding abundance of life. We talked about Jesus, the light of the world, discovering truth where darkness is this metaphor for ignorance in our lives, where darkness reveals the ignorance of humanity, and yet Jesus is the truth. We talked about light in the midst of darkness as Jesus bringing Emmanuel, which means that God is with us, right? God being the light of presence in the darkness. And then most of all, we talked about the darkness of our own life. We talked about sin in our own life that needs to find healing from sin, from God. And so there's a lot in that little phrase, light of the world, isn't there? It's insane how much is there. It's insane how many layers, but I'm going to bring us another layer today, okay? Another layer of this passage. So even though you probably have it memorized already, let's read it together once again. So let's read this together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen? It's a beautiful Christmas verse, isn't it? And so first of all, what is Jesus saying again by saying, I am? Who is he equating himself with? God, right? Massive statement there, but we've already dealt with that. What I want to talk about is another layer of this verse. Because we have to think... Where 
and when and why did Jesus say these words? And so, where did he say these words and when did he say these words? Well, as he's talking about this phrase of, I am the light of the world, he's in a context in the temple. And there's a feast going on. There's a celebration going on. Does anyone know what that celebration was? The feast of? That's good. I'll teach you something new today then. The feast of tabernacles. The feast of booths. Sometimes it's even called the feast of tents. And it was the celebration where what would happen is that the people were literally celebrating in the temple and what they were reflecting on was the days that God brought them out of the, the wilderness wanderings and especially the Exodus story. And so it's the celebration of God's rescue and deliverance that He brought them out of Egypt, He brought them out of the wilderness, that God was the rescuer and the person who brought salvation into their light. And what they would do is the, there's this specific part of the temple that was called the court of women. And one of the traditions during the Feast of Tabernacles is that they would light up this court of women, that it would be drastically, drastically lit up. Uh, there's, there's even historical records of, of, I'm sure it was metaphorically, but saying lighting up the, the, the court of women for the Feast of Tabernacles would literally light up the whole city of Jerusalem. And so it was this declaration that God's light shed all over the, the temple, God's light shed all over the city, and it was this description of what was the light that happened in the wilderness wanderings. Does anyone remember? God led them by the light of a pillar of fire and a cloud as well, right? And so this was a reminder as they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles that God is the one who guides us and rescues us and delivers us and saves us. And so it's this beautiful description of what God did for them. And so it would burn bright. So Jesus comes on the scene and this is what he's stepping into. He's stepping into this celebration. He's stepping into this event, and it's sort of right at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted for about eight days. And he comes into this context, and he says, I am, which is a statement of divinity, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, here's everyone in the temple. This is what they're thinking. What we're celebrating is the pillar of light, the cloud of light that led us in our wilderness wanderings, and we celebrate the light of God over Jerusalem, over the people of God. And Jesus comes and says, and he builds on that I, stay, I am statement, he says, not only am I God, but I am the God that delivered you in the Exodus. I am the God who delivered you in the wilderness. I am the God who brings about salvation for your people, but not just for Israel. He says, I am the light of where? The entire world. It's a pretty profound statement. It's a massive statement that Jesus makes. And so, why does Jesus come and why does he associate himself with the Exodus story? Why does he associate himself with the wilderness? Well, let's think of some of those themes for a little bit. 
If you were an Israelite who went through the Exodus, who went through the wilderness journeys, and you come out of that rescue, um, how would you describe some of your experiences? How would you define yourself coming out of the Exodus and wilderness? What are some things you would say you've been rescued from, or what were some things you would define yourself from that experience? Let's brainstorm together. First of all, were they in their own land? No, where were they? They were in Egypt, right? So they were exiled people. They weren't in their own land. Were they free people having a good time partying it up in Egypt? No, what were they? They were slaves. They were working for Pharaoh under his power, under his regime. Were they treated nicely or justly? No, they were abused, they were mistreated. And yet, what did God do for them? How would they describe God's rescue? How would they describe God's deliverance? What was some of that story? Yeah, Moses, and what happened in the story of Moses? The Red Sea crossing, God literally miraculously making a way for them to be rescued out of Egypt, literally destroying Pharaoh's armies that were chasing after them, right? It's, it's wild because Moses reflects on the story of the Exodus, and one of the things he tells the people, uh, I think it's in Exodus 14, somewhere around there, he says, what we need to do is stand firm and let God's power work, basically. In other words, everything here is so out of our power, but we must trust God to deliver us, to rescue us. Now, so God has rescued them. God has brought them out of the wilderness wandering. Then what does God give them after that? He, the water in the desert, right? He rescues them with water. They were parched. They couldn't survive, um, which is another whole story with Feast of Tabernacles, but we can't get there. Um, what else does He do? He gives them manna. He feeds them. He provides for them. What else does He provide for them along the journey later on? He gives them the what? Yeah, shoes that didn't wear out. But he gives them the law. He gives them guidance. He gives them instruction in how they're supposed to live. This law made them a community. It binded them together. Uh, later on, we see in the story that he gives them the gift of himself, which was seen in what? Does anyone know? It's another T word before the temple. The tabernacle where the presence of God dwelt and was among them. And so you think about that story. You think about a story of people who were enslaved, who were exiled, not living in a world of their own. You think of a people who are rescued, who were given law, who were given grace, who were given mercy, who are made into a people who now experience God tabernacling among them, God dwelling with them. And is that not the same story as us, as Christians? Is it not the exact same story? And so what Jesus is identifying with here is that Jesus is saying that I become the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
That I, being the light of the world, is I was the God who protected you through the wilderness. I was the God who filled the tabernacle with my holy and glorious presence. I was the God who led you to safety. I was the God who protected you from who would destroy you. It's quite a statement that Jesus is making here, right? Another deep layer of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Now, here's the other play on it then, as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever does what will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me, right? We talked about that last week, but here's a deeper meaning behind it, because now if God is the God who rescues and delivers and the people were called to follow him to experience that rescuing, the same becomes true for us today. And so this is the beauty of God bringing rescue into our life. This is everything that Jesus associated himself with as the rescuer, the salvation, the deliverer of the world. And we all get to experience that and see that, don't we? It's the beauty of who Jesus is. Now, here's, here's the problem that we face is when Jesus says these things, we can have this cognitive knowledge of Jesus as the light of the world. And we can acknowledge to some extent what that means in a very tangible way in the Old Testament metaphor and language and imagery that it brings. But at the same time, who here feels like they need a little bit more rescue in their life? (laughs) Who here feels like, God, why isn't the rescue coming here and now? Why isn't the salvation coming here and now? Why isn't the deliverance coming here and now? And it becomes this point of animosity at times between us and God when we expect Him to work and act and save now, and we wonder what's going on. And some of us have went through deep relational brokenness. Some of us have went through addiction struggles. Some of us went through abandonment or loneliness or whatever it may be, and we say, God, where's the rescue now? But at the same time, don't you think that sounds a little ridiculous? Because if I were to be waterfall repelling, and even though my uncle sent over that rope to help save me and deliver me and for me to reattach to, could you imagine if I went up to my uncle and I said, why didn't you save me right away, right? Or what if all my friends came to me and I got mad at them and I said, well, why isn't it as soon as I fell in that tree well, you weren't there right away, Right? And here's the hard thing in our relationship with Jesus is because we know that Jesus is the light of the world. We know that he is a deliverer and rescuer, yet at times we demand immediacy. And yet Jesus reminds us that he still is the only hope for rescue. See, the solution to all those things would be, well, if I didn't go waterfall repelling, I wouldn't need rescue. If I didn't go snowboarding, I wouldn't need rescue, right? And in the same way with our lives, the only answer to not fast enough is what? Non-existence. Not living at all. And yet we walk through this world of darkness. And we walk through it longing for rescue, longing for deliverance, longing for this world to be made right, longing for our lives to be made right. 
And we only have one source of hope in it all. And that source is Jesus. And, and I think even that, that sense that we come before God and say, why not now? It's not fast enough. I need rescue now. I need more salvation now in our lives. It's, it's coming to the point in term that it's almost this point of confession. We're realizing that we need something beyond ourselves. We need something to be made right. And the beauty of what Jesus tells us is that if we believe in the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas, is what we really celebrate at Advent, is Advent means coming. Jesus has come into this world. And he tells us that he has come into this world to seek and save who? The lost. Those who need rescue, those who need salvation, which is each and every one of us. And he tells us that I came into this world not to condemn sinners, but what? To rescue and to save us from our sin. And so this, this story of Jesus is this realization of Jesus is the light of the world. It reminds us that Jesus is our hope for rescue, for deliverance, for salvation. And if Jesus has come once again, or if come before, our hope is that once he comes again, all that longing will come into fruition. All that longing for things to finally be made right will one day happen. It's like sitting there lost or trapped as a child and coming to the realization, I know this is fearful, I know this is a scary situation, but I know my parents are looking for me and they are going to find me. Isn't that a deep hope? And in the same way, we can go through this world and we can have this deep agony and this deep struggle and we come to the realization that, no, I know God is looking out for me, I know God cares for me, and I know God promises to rescue and redeem and to save. It's that same hope. And the hope we have is that Christ will make all things right. His light will overcome the darkness. And this is why Jesus, when he says, I'm the light of the world, he says, whoever follows me will what? They will never, what? Walk in darkness. Isn't that a wild thing to think about? This goes back to Jesus saying that I am Emmanuel. It's what we celebrate as Christmas, is God is with us. And that if we are in the presence of God, the presence of light, we will never walk in darkness. And so this is, this is the beautiful thing. We, we get to experience the grace and the presence of God who is light. And, and this is the personal way in which it re reflects to us is, is, is Jesus is no longer just the light of the world, but he becomes the light in our own life. 
the light that helps us deal with the darkness of sin in our life, the, the light that gifts us with the presence of God, the light that gifts us with his perfect peace which surpasses all understanding, the, the light which allows us to experience a love that we will never experience from any other human, uh, a God that gets to, a light that gets to experience the joy that is beyond any other circumstances that we go through, and a light that ultimately gives us the greatest hope we could ever long for. A hope that one day things will be made right. And so as we reflect on Jesus as the light, I've told you a couple of rescue stories from my life, but I, I think the most powerful rescue story I will ever experience in my life is the rescue that comes from Jesus. And this is a neat season for me, too, because Christmas season is the season that I got baptized in as well. When I was 19 years old, and I can't remember, was it the Sunday before Christmas or the Sunday after Christmas? The Sunday after Christmas. And that moment, everything changed in my life. And many of you have this same story as well, where you, where you knew where your life was headed, and your life was headed towards darkness. Your life was headed towards destruction. Your life was headed towards meaninglessness and futility. And yet when Jesus came in, he brought redemption. He brought rescue. He brought salvation. And so this is the beautiful thing that we celebrate as Christmas, is the God who does that. And again, as Martin Luther says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And our darkened reality in our own lives, in this world, we need something beyond ourselves, and that hope comes from the person of Jesus. He is the God-man, fully God, fully man. He is the light of light, the very source of light for this world. And the Christmas story is that he comes into this dark, dark world and he enters into the darkness that we as humans brought into this creation and he conquers that darkness by experiencing all the agonies and pains and sorrow of this existence and he dies through the pain of the cross to redeem and to restore and to rescue us from ourselves. And so this is the joy of what we celebrate this Christmas season. I'm going to invite you guys to bow and we're going to pray together in celebration of this. Gracious God, we come before you. And Lord, first of all, we come in confession. We come in confession because, Lord, we look for other sources in this life to overcome our darkness. Lord, we, we look to the world and we, we, we think of the, the fantasy of global peace coming into fruition and yet throughout history we've been reminded time and time again that that's not possible apart from you. We look at the wars happening in this world, especially in the war in Russia and Ukraine and we so long for a world to be made right, to be free from war. And yet time and time we're reminded again 
We as humans simply combat darkness with darkness. And Lord, even in our own lives, we need to confess because we too, in the decisions we make, in the things we strive for, in the things we live for, Lord, so often we do not get to experience the joy and peace of your light because we look for it in other sources. We look for it in selfish pleasures or earthly entertainment, or we try to create meaning and purpose on our own terms, and yet all those things just leave us stuck in the dark. And so we come to you with the realization that our only hope and our only source of light to overcome this darkness is found in you, Jesus. And so I pray for anyone in this room anyone online who who doesn't know the joy of being in the light, the joy of finding truth and meaning and purpose and value, the joy of finding a God who loves and cares and rescues and delivers, the joy of knowing that you are with us even in the midst of the darkness of this world. And Lord, I pray for anyone who struggles with come to realization of that truth in their lives, that you would just break into their darkness, that you would let your light shine in their life, and that you would be their rescuer, their deliverer. Lord, we we look to the Old Testament story of following the pillar of light to bring rescue to the people. And Lord, we know there's a responsibility to follow. And Lord, you remind us that yes, you are the light of this world, but we must follow you to experience that light, to experience that deliverance, to experience that salvation. I pray that it would be true for every one of us in this room, that we would know you and experience you as the light of this world. We thank you, gracious God, for that gift. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.